You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of No Other Pod. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Other Pod. I'm Jimmy, along with my other good friend, Chris Wright today, while Dan is uh, living it up on a cruise ship somewhere out in the Atlantic. Not really sure where, but Chris, what's going on, my friend? Hey, man, it's a uh, first time, I think, just you and I, right? I think um, so. Pod together, so should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be good. Uh, it's uh, unfortunate that I can't have you on here for a victory pod. And, you know, Dan and I thought last week we might have a pretty good shot at a victory pod, given the fact that Lionel Messi was not going to be with Inter Miami, but, uh, Alas, it is not the case, but um, I'm assuming that you watch the game. Obviously, you're a big sporting fan, as Dan and I both are. I actually didn't get to watch the game live because I was out of town at Disney World when it when it happened, but I did watch it later that night. Um, what were your overall thoughts going into this game? Because some key players, including Lionel Messi, not with Inter-Miami due to the international break, so... Uh, what, were your, what was your head at heading into this game? I really thought we had a chance, to be honest. Um, it just feels like a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, how many players did they have out? Like seven, seven plus players? It might have been know. 10 or 11. I mean, it was okay. a lot, nine, 10. Yeah. I think it was the most of any team in MLS. Yeah, that, that's wild. Death <laughs> on that team, right? Yeah. But but yeah, it was it was a big missed opportunity. Um, you know, three points could have put us in the you know, in the playoffs, if it ended today, of mm-hmm. course, some teams have games in hand. So just a big missed opportunity. It's going to be tough to, you know, climb our way up that hill now. Yeah, I was telling Dan last week that it's been such a weird season because obviously going the first 10 games without winning, less than ideal. You're, you're digging yourself into a huge hole. Then you had that really good stretch and, and it's kind of been off and on in terms of form since then. But the last couple of games had really given me a little bit of hope that this team might be able to actually push for a playoff spot. And of course, as of now, they're not mathematically out of it. You know, they're a couple of points back uh, in terms of points from the playoffs right now, 32 points. Um, the the ninth place team, Dallas, has 34 points, although they do have two games in hand on Sporting KC. So there was a chance that this maybe could happen, and now with this lost Inter Miami, not even being able to get a result, a single point on the road, it feels like with only six games left in the season, things just suddenly got a lot more difficult for Sporting KC to actually make that push. So, I don't know. Yeah, the last two regular season games, we only gave up one goal, if I remember correctly, and then given up three. That's on, you know, mistakes. I, mm-hmm. I think two of the three were just a sequence of individual mistakes. So right. you can't make the playoffs if you don't clean that type of stuff up. Yeah, for sure. It's been an unfortunate year. I know you talk with the Kansas City Current over on Currently every week, and things haven't gone that well um, in terms of expectations coming off of a, a, a great season last year for the Current and, and Sporting Kansas City. Things have been a little subpar, so it's been a little bit of a bummer. But you know what? There's still hope for Sporting Kansas City. We're going to talk about all that this episode. But I do want to go over uh, in a little bit more detail what happened in this game. Um, as we mentioned, if you looked at the lineup for Inter-Miami, this is not at all the Inter-Miami that we had been seeing as of late because they were missing the likes of, obviously, Lionel Messi, 
But Robert Taylor, he was a guy who had suddenly had a renaissance after Lionel Messi signed. He suddenly was getting assists and goals left and right. Um, Kremeshi, uh, there were a number of players. Uh, they had like two or three young designated players that were on international duty. So you're starting to see names that maybe weren't as familiar. The two players who were there that were key players in this for uh, for Inter Miami, Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba. And there were questions when they came over of how much do they ha- still have left in the tank? You, up to me, after we've been watching, they got plenty left, it seems. Yeah, no, they, they got a lot. Whenever you watch players come over from Europe and, and come here, there's a stigma about MLS, right? Like it's a retirement league, and that's clearly not the case. But when you see player like Busquets come in here and just brilliance play after play after play it's I don't know it's it's tough it's tough to match up against that kind of I you know IQ and it's it's I, I just can't help but think it's such a missed opportunity man it's it's frustrating because our season was right there our season was on the line um missing Messi and, and like 10 other players nine other players we just couldn't get it done yeah, and Sporting had a pretty decent lineup. Of course, yeah. the front three, which they even said on the broadcast, is arguably one of the best front lines in the entire league. Daniel Shallowy, Alan Polito, Johnny Russell. Uh, we didn't have Gadi Kinda. That was sort of a late international call-up, and there was a little bit of drama throughout the week surrounding Gadi Kinda. Peter Ramiz explicitly said he did not want Gadi Kinda to go uh, and, and accept the call from um, the Israeli Federation, he did not think he was healthy enough. Uh, he told the Israeli Federation as much, and he told Gadi Kinda as much. And I don't want to say he threw Gadi Kinda under the bus, but he didn't mince his words in saying he was disappointed in Gadi Kinda's decision to go, especially considering the ramifications of this game. So I don't think that impacted the play of the midfield, but that's why you see a guy like Felipe Gutierrez maybe starting in there instead of Gadi Kinda. And I don't know what your thoughts are on of course, a healthy Gotti is probably a better choice than than Felipe Gutierrez. But um, for me, it just kind of set a weird tone heading into the game for the sporting side, already knowing that there was a little bit of, uh, not controversy, but just um, some shakiness in terms of the events leading up to this game. I don't blame Peter for being mad. I, I love the fact that he just put it out there. I, I think it's ridiculous that Gotti would accept the invitation he would go and he's clearly not going to play right right you know peter hopefully not i mean i have a little bit of ptsd with players like some of your designated players going on international duty because that's how alan polito got the injury with the mexican national team that apparently hindered him for the next two or three years yeah but the the fact that he went he's not going to play or at least he shouldn't right but you know he went and that really slowed down. That could really slow down his his rehab process. The fact that he couldn't even run in a straight line or, or you know, he just couldn't practice, you know, leading up to the game. I just don't understand how he goes. I don't understand how Israel even wants to bring him up, right? Obviously, he can't contribute on the field. You want to give some other players that opportunity. But I just love how how Peter called out um, the Israeli Federation and, and, and Ginda to a mm-hmm. degree. Yeah, and I get you know, it's been a couple of years since Gotti was actually called up. So right. the logic, I guess, from his perspective is, well, if I say no now, maybe it never happens again, which sure. I do understand. But at the same time, if you are injured, 
if you are on a treatment and recovery print recover blah, 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 I can talk recovery plan uh, with the Sporting KC medical staff, you're right. If this decision hinders that, slows it down, if he re-aggravates it in training, even if he's not playing in a game, if he re-aggravates it in training, and keep in mind, it's a contract year for Gotti Kinda this yeah. year. There's no guarantee that he's going to be back with Sporting next year. Price is right. Obviously, I'd love to have him back, but it just is an interesting decision from all parties involved because Peter clearly tried to say he's not healthy enough and, and almost insinuated that the Israeli Federation thought they were hyping up the injury to be more than it is in order to prevent Gotti from going. So it's, I don't know, interesting things that were happening there, but that did leave the midfield trio available of Felipe Gutierrez, Remy Voltaire, and Eric Tommy. Uh, and then obviously the back line, Logan and Denbe, Andre Fontes, Danny Rosero, Jake Davis, and from Tim Melia. Before we dive into the game, I guess I'm curious to get your thoughts because I haven't talked to you as much about this. I have talked to Dan, but in terms of when I'm thinking of like where's the weak point in the Sporting KC lineup, I think the back line tends to be where I continue to fall, specifically center back. Center back, Fontas and Rosero are probably the best pairing that we have, but it, it seems to me just like there's always a silly mistake. There's always something, and it's not necessarily skill-based. It's like a mental error, and that obviously we'll talk about turn its head again, but what, what's your overall thought of like this back line, how they've performed on the season, and maybe particularly the center back position? I think they're average. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know when I watch them play, I don't look at them like I don't feel comfortable or confident when I watch them as a pairing. You just know there's going to be some mental mistakes in the game. You just hope it doesn't cost you. Yeah. And obviously with Miami, it, it did. Um, Rosero, he gets caught looking. He makes mental mistakes. I mean, he's a very talented player. He's very gifted. He's physically gifted. Mm-hmm. But he just, he'll make mental mistakes. He won't follow a runner. He'll just get caught watching. Yeah. Um. And Fontas has been in the doghouse. He's come out of the doghouse with, with Peter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you kind of know what you're getting, but it's it's not enough. It's not enough to make a deep run in the playoffs. And I'm not saying, you know, we need to move on from both of them, but we need more than that. Yeah. Right now. It's, um, Fontas feels like he's been in the doghouse, you know, for like five of the six years, four of the five years, whatever it is yeah. that he's been here. He had that one year that was like, arguably MLS best 11, which is weird. Uh, but most of the time he, he's sort of been in and out of the doghouse and Rosero. I had, I had really high hopes for when he came here, signed from Columbia. Um, the, the reports out of Columbia were seeming to indicate he was one of the better center backs in that league. Obviously there's so many leagues around the world. I'm by no means an expert in right. Colombian professional league. So I had no idea what that would really mean, but you're right. There are some moments where you're like, Holy cow, he's got, you know, world-class ability. And then there's other moments where you're like, what are you doing? Like, Come on now. Um, Tim Melia, obviously, I, I trust back there. Uh, but with Rosero and Fontas, I think Jake Davis has had such a solid year, but he's still young. He's still learning the position. And sometimes I think some of the positional elements of the field still escape him. Um, and I think that reared its head in, in this game too. And that's where I wish you had somebody, whether it be Fontas or Rosero, probably especially Rosero on that right side, that had a little bit more command of the box and could help jake davis and communicate with him a little bit more i feel like maybe that's that's been missing um and jake has played with what three different keepers throughout the year back there so 
all that's to say, it's just been tough defensively for, for sport in Kansas City. Um, and if you would have asked me what does sporting need to do in this game in order to set themselves up for success on the road, score first, score early. And wouldn't you know it, Sporting KC actually did score first and scored early. It only took until the ninth minute where uh, Johnny Russell was driving toward the box. Um, he, he got dispossessed, but the ball fell to Felipe Gutierrez. He tried a shot from distance, and then I'm I'm not quite sure what Miami's goalkeeper, Jake Callender, was doing. I think he was maybe trying to catch it, and then maybe he was going to try to push it over the box. He seemed a bit indecisive, and essentially what happened was the ball just fell in front of him. Daniel Shallow with the heads-up play, who was very close to being offside, by the way, but he was on, finds the rebound, pokes home, 1-0 Sporting KC in the ninth minute. At this point, I'm feeling pretty good. And, and think in sporting case he has a, a real chance to come out of here with some points. You mentioned it. When his hands came up, I thought he was just going to just stop it and just kind of drop it in front of him mm-hmm. and collect the ball. Yeah. But it, it was clearly uh, a, a mistake on his part. But I love that Shallowy was right there, ready to put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, and you need that. Like, when you're playing away, you need a mistake on there and to capitalize it. You know, if you would have told me we were up one goal right off the bat and we could dictate hopefully dictate the rest of the game, I would have, you know, that's where we need to be. That's where we wanted to be. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not, I'm assuming it was intentional. I'm, I'm going to give Shallowy credit for it, but to be able to hold his run until after the shot and time it perfectly so that he would have a, a, basically a wide open shot off the rebound, uh, that's huge because how many times in this league have you seen the ball deflected there's somebody there for the attacking team to get the rebound and put it in the back of the net, and then you see the replay. Like, ah, they were like a yard offside. They, they didn't have the discipline to hold their run even to get the rebound. Shallowy timed it perfectly. So, well, Or the fact that you know some players won't even make that run like Shallowy did. Sure, just yeah. think it's a routine stop, a routine save. There's no point running up there, but that's why you do it. For sure. It's like follow your shot in basketball. Yeah, when you see somebody do it, you're like, "Oh, holy cow!" You know, you missed it. You're running for the rebound, kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then right before halftime, um, you're you're thinking, "Excuse me, not right before halftime." That I, I jumped ahead of the whole debacle with Tim Amelia and and the penalty kick. I must have blocked it out because I was so frustrated by it. But uh, um, Leonardo Campana gets the ball in the box. Um, clearly it's not with a lot of pace. It's not with a lot of power. I'm not quite sure what Tim Milia, he must've misjudged it or thought it was coming with a lot more pace and power. Cause he thought he'd be able to get there. Clearly he didn't. He misjudged his run. He misjudged the timing. He cleans out Campana to clear penalty kick or clear penalty. Yeah. And then Campana did well to kind of freeze Milia with the penalty kick. Milia ended up dry, uh, diving the correct way, but he just hesitated too much. And, Miami tied it in the 25th minute. And um, I don't want to say, I didn't know the result when I was watching it at this point. I don't want to say I had a bad feeling because I think that's a little bit like hindsight 2020. But when you see an established keeper like Melia make a mistake like that, it just is such a gut punch because it's such an unforced error. And Melia knows he knows better. Goals are hard to come by on the road, right? You can't make a silly mistake like that and give one up. Millie has been fantastic um, since he's, you know, come back and even before his injury. It's just unfortunate that he came in like with a flying knee, essentially. 
It, it, yeah, it, it was like Masvidal coming in with a flying knee on Ben Askren instead of hit him right in the back. It, it was a bad, it was a bad decision by Milia. I don't even know if he recognized where the ball was coming because it looked like he went to go make a play on the ball, not it a play did. on him. But he just went right through him. And going back to what we touched on earlier, mm-hmm. you know, our center backs were caught watching. We were caught watching the ball yep. right over the top. So. Yep. You can't have that. You can't have that if you're trying to make the playoffs on the road. Yeah. It, it was lazy defending, and I don't know if Melia thought maybe that one of the center backs was going to, you know, shield Campana from being out, able to actually get there. Because you see that at times where right. there'll be a, a chip into the box and the center back puts their body between around. yeah, between the attacker and where the ball will land. So maybe Melia thought that was going to happen. If you're giving Melia the benefit of the doubt, clearly it didn't happen. But you have to kind of recognize that, I guess, if you're Melia. And the, the unfortunate part is he'd probably be caught in no man's land if he did stop. But the ball didn't really have enough pace and power. Campana would have had to like settle it before he could really do anything with it. He wasn't going to first time it or anything. So it came off his chest and like shoulder a bit, didn't it? It was kind of yeah. awkward. Yeah. So it's it, it's just unfortunate. You cannot spot Miami free goals like that. And it was basically a free goal, even though Timelia has such a good record against penalty kicks in his career. It was an unforced error, a free goal, um, and it and it brought Miami level 1-1 with 20 minutes left in the half. So before we get to the rest of the half, let's go ahead. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about what happened in the rest of the game. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, sir. We are back. Uh, I tried to jump ahead to this goal before because, I'm, like I said, I'm blocked out. The penalty kick. Um, but at this point, it's late in the first half, and you're thinking, okay, you know what? Let's just get to halftime 1-1, reassess, regroup. Sporting KC's got that dangerous attacking front line. Uh, the, the midfield has a real chance to, to do something in this game uh, with no Lionel Messi. Uh, it makes it much easier on them. And then 45th minute, DeAndre Yedlin, he's being guarded out wide by by Daniel Shallowy. And this is why Daniel Shallowy's a winger and and not a defender. Uh, you know, maybe if Logan and Denbe or or Tim Leibold is out there on uh, defense against um DeAndre Yedlin, it, it's maybe a little bit different here. But Yedlin basically puts Daniel Shallowy in the spin cycle, creates his own passing lane, and then just a pinpoint perfect cross. Again, no pace. Um, it's just a floater across the box to Campana once again. Jake Davis does try to jump and head it, but I think he's a, he's a little too far forward into the box for where the ball ended up being. He's also significantly shorter, and I'm a little bit confused because Danny Rosero was guarding Campana, and he just kind of stopped. I don't know if he saw Davis there and gave up or what, but... Um, there was clearly a miscommunication between Rosero and Davis. And this is kind of what I was alluding to before is it's, it's maybe just a lack of familiarity with, with each other, even though they've been playing together for a while, but it eventually essentially becomes a free header for Campana and he just places it perfectly. Now it's two, one at half instead of one, one. You do not want Shallowy guarding Yedlin kind of on, on the outside. I know, I know Shallowy has long legs and you know, you kind of hope he can get his foot up there. That's not what you want. You know, he, he just did a couple moves and went right to the outside. Jake Davis didn't have a chance. No. From from the look of it. You kind of wish he had a better positioning, but the height difference, it, just, it didn't look like there was much he can do, unfortunately. It was just a really good, uh, you know, just a really well-placed cross, a great yeah. header. You kind of wish Roseros would have just tried to do something there, even if, even if, right. even if he jumped off and, Jumped up and made block the vision, right? Right. Uh, you know, of Campania. But again, that's just a mental lapse that we've kind of come to see happen quite often. It just sucks because sometimes you see defenders crash into each other as they're both trying to go for the ball. You, you don't want it to happen, but um, you also don't want to give up free headers like that. And and 2-1 is such a drastically different scoreline at the half than 1-1. 1-1, you're feeling, okay, let's go out there. Let's just snag a goal and then defend. Suddenly we're feeling good. Worst case, we hold the line. We come out of here with a draw. We get a point. It's all good. But now it's it's 2-1. 
that changes the conversation significantly. And Miami came out in the second half. They almost scored within the first two minutes. Campana was called for offside, and Melia actually made what would have been a really good save if it counted. But it, I don't know. It just reminded me of how sporting has come out of the second half a number of times this year where within the first two, three minutes, the opposing team gets a legitimate attacking chance, and it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the half. And sporting from that moment on seemed like they were just playing a little bit from a step behind Miami, um, which you can't do. So... I, I agree. It it really seemed like you know Miami, uh, they had a game plan, and they they wanted to play fast. Like yeah. in transition, they were flying. Uh, Ferreus, that guy was all over the place. Yeah. If I'm if I'm a casual fan, I'm not cheering for either team. This is a fun game to watch because it was sure. back and forth. These teams were flying. You know, they were putting everything they got. There was opportunities on both ends all game. The field was generally open. Yes. Um, so if I'm a casual fan, this is a fun game to watch. But we allowed them to dictate their style of gameplay to us mm-hmm. or on us, and that's what you can't do, especially on the road. You have to dictate your gameplay, and you know, we just allowed them to get up and down the field all all game. Yeah, and and. What's interesting is Peter Ramiz, for all the criticisms people have had, whether right or wrong, um, throughout the the last couple seasons, I guess, he usually isn't one to let the other team dictate the style of play, even on the road. Sporting usually sort of can implement, or at least hold relatively well, how they want to play, possession-based game. Um, occasionally, you'll see them sort of let the other team have possession and, and, and park the bus, if you will, but it did seem like this game that, yeah, like you said, Sporting just never really got comfortable, which again is a bummer because this was such an opportunity with a messy list uh, and a Joseph Martinez list in Miami that was there. Uh, The real mental error of the game, I guess you could say, and there's some controversy surrounding this, but came in about the 60th minute. Andrea Fontes had just gotten called for a handball. He was arguing whether it was actually a handball uh, with Elfath, the the center official. He's holding the ball down at his right side. And at that moment, Sergio Busquets comes, grabs the ball, puts it down real fast, kicks it on a quick restart to Farias. Farias sends it past Emilia. Suddenly, it becomes 3-1 Miami over SKC in the 60th minute. Vermees was livid. Uh, You see Fontas upset. Johnny Russell was upset. The main complaint, I guess, is one, they didn't think it was a handball on Fontas, but two, that Elfath shouldn't have allowed the restart the way he did when Busquets grabbed the ball because Pontus was actively trying to talk to Elfath. So I guess my question to you is, what was your take on the whole situation, both the handball and the restart? I know you're a sporting fan, so obviously you may have a little bit of, of a of bias from that perspective, but but what was your take? Unfortunate. Um, again, a simple mental mistake, you know, that allowed them to to grab that. I don't think it hit off his elbow. Uh, what do you say? If it looked like it hit off his butt, I'm not sure. It took two deflections off of his body, first of all. Yeah. And then his elbow. Yeah, it's it was hard to... I never really saw a good angle of it. Yeah. The angle I saw kept yeah kept looking like it hit off of his butt or, or something. His arm... I've seen people kind of have differing takes on whether they thought his arm was in a natural position or not. It certainly wasn't like flailing out away from his body. Right. It might have been a little bit 
behind, but I mean, you can't run and move without your arms moving in some way. So the fact that the arms moving isn't an unnatural position. I didn't see anything that clearly showed to me it hit his arm. I also didn't see anything that clearly showed to me it didn't hit his arm. I don't think this would have been reviewable anyway because, um, well, I guess I don't know if that's reviewable or not. Like, did that technically happen and, and lead to the goal? Does it count as in the attacking phase since there was a stoppage of play between? I don't know. But um, regardless, I don't think there would have been anything to overturn it Yeah, if it had been reviewed. What's interesting to me is this, like, philosophical discussion of, like, should Elfath have allowed Busquets to do what he did? Um, they actually talked about this. Andrew Weeby talked about this on MLS Instant Replay, and he was like, I got no problem with what Elfath did. He has no obligation to stop the play to hear complaints from the offending team. They they were engaging him. He didn't engage them. He even held up his hand to, to tell Johnny Russell, don't come talk to me, and he was starting to tell Andre Ufantis, don't talk to me. So I guess... From, from an objective perspective, I can understand that. The part where I do think, if you're following the rule to a T, that he probably should have stopped it, is, to me, what I saw, that ball never stopped rolling when Busquets actually yes. took the kick. He threw it down on the ground. It was clearly rolling when he hit it, and by rule, the ball cannot be rolling when you restart the play. So Elfath should have stopped play and make, made him retake the kick because the ball was in motion when he took it. That's the biggest complaint I have, I guess. It just depends. Yeah, I know I completely agree. It depends on how, like, during that whole process, you could break it down and just see, you know, you can make a... a if, if you're a sporting fan, you can make a case that, you know, it wasn't a handball, or you can make a case that it was, or, you know, that the ref should have not allowed him to make a play, and you can make a yeah. case that they should have. Just throughout that whole process, you can make a, a case either way. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate that every single action that led to that, you know, it, it, you know, it could have been, it, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed, right? I'm not <laughs> mad. A, 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 an upset father. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And that's exactly how it feels. Playoffs on the line, you know, we can't just give anything easy, especially on the road. It's so hard. And then we just allow them and Fanta should hold the ball tighter. Yes. You know, it's, I, I want to blame so many different things. But at the end of the day, I feel like I can only blame myself if I'm, you know, or blame sporting. So yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. It's a yeah. tough way to give up a, give up a goal. That's, I, yeah, I think at. you're right in that, if Fontas is going to do what he did, yeah. and, and I saw a number of people on Twitter make this point too. Take the yellow. He needs to take the yellow or and hold the ball in a way that it's not going to be ripped out. And Peter Vermees talked about, this was specifically uh, in reference to League's Cup when we were playing Liga MX teams, um, but this was Sergio Busquets who, who did this. Um, Peter has talked about before how teams from Liga MX have what like essentially more street smarts or off field smarts, uh, more awareness than sometimes players in MLS does. And Sergio Busquets, obviously playing at the height of world football has that same capability just to an exaggerated degree. And so his awareness to say, well, the uh, offending player is complaining to the referee. He's just holding the ball loosely at his side. I'm going to grab it and restart. Maybe we get a goal out of it. That's the type of mental awareness that sporting 
hasn't had and Fontas hasn't had and Rosero haven't had. And, and I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Um, even after the, the restart happened, Sporting were kind of like looking around like what just happened and it took them a moment to sort of get into gear and by that point it was too late. So yeah, just an unfortunate situation all around. I think you're right um, that if you do feel the ball taken out of your hand or your Fontas, figure out a way to take yellow. Stick your foot out. Do something. Don't let it happen. Step in front of, like how many times do we see a player step in front of the free kick? Oh my God, yeah. It happens every free kick. Once you feel that ball leave your possession, step right. In, granted, it wasn't you know stationary. Step sure. right in front. Do something. Make an attempt. Yes. Yeah. So, it it is a bummer. Um, Miami actually almost went up again. Speaking of Rosero, not to continue to pick on on these two in the sixty third minute, uh, Robbie Robinson got in the game, um, and this is in the highlight package that it's uh, MLS put in their like seven minute highlight package. He turns Danny Rosero every which way but Sunday because Rosero, he just can't figure out how to defend Robinson. And if it weren't for Tim Elia with a fantastic, you know, one-footed leg save coming off the line, this game would have been done and dusted 4-1 at that point and Sporting wouldn't have even had a chance. So, Amelia Heroics, I guess, (laughs) kept us a great game at that point. He had a great game, minus the flying knee to the back. He had a fantastic, he made, I don't know how many, like, kick saves, barely got a hand on it. Yeah. I mean, he was he was a brick wall for about as much as he can be for a 3-2. Yeah. He lost. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and it is interesting because if, if you look at the expected goals for the game, it's 2.1 to Miami, 1.4 for Sporting KC, according to MLSsoccer.com. But you have to remember that uh, a penalty kick is worth 0.8 expected goals. Yeah. So if you don't give that penalty kick and you take 0.8 away, this is much closer to a level game. It'd be about... Oh, yeah, 1.3 to 1.4 expected goals. So outside of a few shaky moments, Sporting didn't really play terrible. It's just, again, those those moments where you're not quite all there. You play 80 good minutes, and then there's 10 real shaky or, 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 or really poor minutes. That's sort of been the story of Sporting KC this year. Um, 78th minute, Island Polito pulls one back. I think Eric Tommy technically gets an assist for this, even though it's entirely unintentional, it seems like. But you know, really heads up play from Alan Polito to be able to split two ML, uh, Miami defenders and then just pure class in his finishing capability to put it in, into the far post or inside of the far post past calendar. It gave Sporting a chance to at least get a point, 3-2 in the 78th minute. Ultimately couldn't get it done, but um, I guess this is why Sporting should re-sign Polito because nobody else on the team probably is doing that. It gave us ten more hopeful, meaning more meaningful minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. I I just I just love that play. He just split the two. It looked like the defenders were kind of just waiting on something. Like did they yeah. didn't have the urgency? Uh, and Plato just ran right up on it, took it, and then had a beautiful finish. A finish that's not easy, by the way. You didn't no. have the best angle. No, but it was a beautiful finish nonetheless. It was. Um... You know, there were some funny things that happened in the post-game press conference. I guess the the, the most um, noteworthy one is uh, Peter was asked about his thoughts on the handball, and initially he didn't really have many thoughts. But when Daniel Shallowy was on the post-game Zoom call answering questions, all of a sudden you see Peter's face pop back into the Zoom window, <laughs> interrupts Daniel, and he's just like, I just got to say, I talked to, to, to Fontas, and he says the ball never hit his hand, so I'm going to go with that. It never hits his hand at all. Um, so 
just funny moments. Um, but I don't know. Peter said again, um, he thought that they did okay. Um, he thought there were moments that they did a good job. Um, he thought they were doing a good job playing from behind um, and trying to defend. Um, but ultimately, just a few moments of lackluster defending and, and mistakes sort of let this one go to a loss. And that's kind of been the story of Sporting KC this year. Um, I'm a little frustrated in, in Jake Davis. Mm-hmm. He, he's had a, um, he's been one of the best products right of the past few years. Who's, who have come in and have a lot of got a lot of minutes. He just gambles too much. Yeah, like I know that's inexperience, but there's a couple plays where I, I want to say it was Robinson. Like Davis came in to to kind of make a flying header to clear it, and I think he missed. And, and you see that at least once or twice a game. Well, he'll you know try and make a sliding tackle. And just and miss completely, but he gambles too much. And I think when you have the back line that we have, you can't gamble. You can't yeah. put Rosero in those types of situations. You can't put Fontas in those types of situations. It, and I'm looking at you know his fat mob rating and take that for what it's worth. But it's sure. outside of Melia, who's the lowest rated player on the team. And I, when I was watching it, that's kind of how I felt. Yeah. Um, I mean, he gets up at the attack really well, but you have to be consistent and you have to be predictable with sure. that, with those center backs. And I feel like that's not what he was. He's still very much learning the yeah. right back position. He's he's great in the attack, but yeah, there, there's there's room to grow defending. And like you said, with the center backs as shaky as they've been, th- those mistakes sometimes can rear their ugly head and it's, it's not good. They need to count on you. Those center backs need to count on you and know what you're doing at all times. For sure. We're going to continue the discussion after the break, but before we send you to the full break, just want to give you another message from DraftKings Sportsbook. Football is back in full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Chris Jones is going to be in on the Week 2 action, so you might as well get in on the Week 2 action now. Download the app and use code KCSN to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. All right, y'all. We are back. 
Um, as we talked about before we got into the game, this really puts Sporting KC in a difficult spot heading into the playoff situation now. Um, the good news for Sporting KC, if you will, if there is any, is they now travel to Minnesota next weekend or this weekend. And Minnesota is five points above Sporting KC right now with a game in hand. Um, they're sitting in seventh place, but Sporting Kansas City plays Minnesota twice still. So that's a full six points up for grabs. So if Sporting Kansas City can somehow go on the road to Minneapolis and get a win and then get another win when the loons come to Kansas City, that's a full six-point swing. That alone right there, depending on how the rest of the season plays out, the the final um, four or five games for the, the two teams, that could be enough to launch Kansas City over Minnesota, and that could be the difference between making the playoffs or missing the playoffs. So as frustrating as this has been for Sporting KC, there is still math to get them there. I feel like I'm, you know, every week I say this, I'm grasping at a few more straws, just like hoping that there's still a chance. But technically, there's still a chance. They still play Minnesota. Um, they're still playing uh, Nashville's a very good team in the Eastern Conference, but, you know, they, they have a chance to, to, to beat them at home. Um, they're playing Houston at home, who is above sporting Kansas City in the standings. We do have to travel to St. Louis one more time on September 30th. Uh, also have to travel to Salt Lake, who is above Sporting KC in the standings before finishing the season on decision day at the end of October with, with Minnesota. So they're playing teams that are above them. There's six games left. Technically, there's you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Technically, there's a chance. So, uh, But it feels like in order for there to actually be a chance... This truly is, we've said it a couple times now, but this truly does feel like a must-win game Saturday in Minneapolis. Yeah, the last two times we've played them, we've won. And, and not just barely beat them. Uh, 3-0 and then 4-1. Yeah. So there, it's definitely doable. Yeah. But uh, anything is possible. <laughs> Especially the MLS, right? In MLS, anything is possible. Well, and it just sucks that Sporting has put themselves in this position because even if you look at the schedule and you're like, okay, well, um, three home games left, three away games left, you probably got to realistically go win four or five of those at least. If you win four, you got to draw one only. like Maybe you can drop one. It'd be great to go on a six-game unbeaten streak here and go like four wins, no losses, two draws. Maybe that gets you in there but you've put yourself in a position where you're going to have to go out and get one or two wins on the road, probably. And sporting Kansas city on the entire season, they've played 14 games on the road. They've won exactly one time on the road. And it was that really strange game way back in the early part of the season in Seattle. It was their first win of the season. It was the one that shocked everybody. And it kind of started sporting on that really hot run of form. Um, since then, they haven't won a game on a road on the road, so this isn't going to be easy. But they have to do it. So we always have a difficult time playing Houston in, in Real Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. it, they're just like you know, I don't know. It's like having a conference rivalry almost. You just right. it doesn't matter what form they're in. It's always going to be difficult, and that that's how I feel about Houston and in, in, in Real Salt Lake. Yeah, it's not an easy schedule, man. There's not one team. 
there's not one team that's ranked below us, but also I think we can beat and we have beaten every team that we that we're gonna play. Yeah. So we just gotta let this one go, you know, short memory, right? And just yeah. get on with the next. I told Dan before, I think that obviously we talked about on this episode, the back line is definitely the weakest link, but like on paper, this sporting team is super talented and should be able to challenge and and arguably be better than just about any other team they have left on the schedule. It's the most confusing team I think I've ever had to cover just because what the on-paper stuff isn't translating into reality. Um, I don't know if you've been a sporting fan for a while. I don't know if you yeah. feel somewhat similar because I thought going into this year, I looked at what this roster was. I thought there was enough depth, and I thought the starting 11 was the strongest starting 11 sporting would ever have. It just hasn't really clicked in some way. But Injuries. You know, I think that's kind of been uh, one of the themes of this team. The first 10 games, I think they only had three points. So we had a possible, you know, three of 30 points. And here we are at scrapping for like five. Points, yeah. You know, so a lot like Kansas City Current, we put ourselves in a, in a deep, deep, deep hole. And then both teams had a great run and then just kind of, you know, petered out there at the end. But uh, that's what's so yeah. possible. But I don't know. It's tough. It's just so frustrating because, like, yeah, okay, let's say you get three draws. Let's say you, you win win two games, have three draws, and five losses in those first ten games. It's still a pretty terrible start, but Sporting KC would have six more points than they have right now, and they would be above the playoff line. Yeah. All you had to do was just win a couple of those home games in the first ten games, and it's a totally different situation right now. And at that point, you're fighting to keep your playoff spot instead of to try to pull off a miraculous upset come back over some pretty good teams like you said in the last six games chances are you know maybe it doesn't work um but they're mathematically alive so never say never until they're not if i if i'm st louis man i'm looking at this game like i want to knock them out like if i could be the death blow can you imagine for this rivalry and knock out sporting of, of the playoffs mathematically i mean if i'm them i'm I'm chopping at the bit, right? That's almost the exact opposite of the discussion Dan and I were having last week because we were feeling good. We were like, what if we sneak into the playoffs and we upset St. Louis after we beat, win the playoff game and knock them out as the, the first seed in that first best of three series in the new MLS playoff format? Uh, now, now we're talking about what if St. Louis is the one to officially kick sporting out of playoff contention. So, oh, how things change in the course of a week. Very much so. But, um, well, we'll see what happens on... Saturday when they do play Minnesota United in Minnesota. I do want to touch on a couple other things uh, from around the league, uh, namely one big story from around the league and maybe just a couple minutes on the U.S. national team. But the biggest non-sporting story in MLS is the the sudden resignation of longtime MLS coach Bruce Arena. And we still don't know a lot about what happened. It's been surprisingly quiet in terms of leaks which is very weird because usually i mean that he was suspended months ago for alleged insensitive remarks to, to somebody and then we never really heard anything and then uh on friday night at you know late at night i think it was like 9 30 p.m central time mls released a statement saying um that Bruce Arena had resigned as sporting director and head coach of the New England Re- Resolution or Revolution, excuse me. 
He was placed on administrative leave on July 30th, pending a review into allegations that he made insensitive and inappropriate remarks. As a result of the investigation, which confirmed certain of these allegations, should Arena wish to pursue future employment within MLS, he must first submit a petition to the commissioner. So whatever was alleged to have been said apparently happened. The New England Revolution said they accepted their resignation. They wish him well and thank him for the contributions to the team. Um, Kurt Analfo, a name familiar to Sporting KC fans, uh, will continue to serve as interim sporting director, and Richie Williams will serve as interim head coach. So uh, that's probably all she wrote for Bruce Arena in terms of his MLS coaching legacy. Uh, I can't say I'm necessarily surprised it ended this way. I guess I didn't think it would end this way now. I thought we probably would just ride out the rest of the season and then find something out off season. But, uh, I don't know. It's it. I don't know if you have any thoughts or not. I guess there's there's not a ton to say, maybe, but it is just weird that this has been going on for months. We still don't really know what he said, but obviously he said something and it wasn't good. Yeah, I, I there there's a few things I think he might have said, you know, or what would trigger something like this. But right. uh, I I mean I don't want to speculate too much. I don't you know I don't want to cast a judgment if I don't know. But I know suspended like Kaylin Kyle for 30 days, which is what came out today that she hasn't been on air for 30 days because she speculated on air about what he said and the league did not like it. Yeah. And the MLS is not known for their transparency in these types of issues. So I don't know when we'll find out, but uh, I don't know. You feel like at some point somebody will talk, but yeah, right now we don't really know. So, but Bruce Arena, I mean, the, the, if you put aside what the horrible incident of he said something insensitive to somebody, right. and if you look at this just from like a pure soccer perspective, which it's tough to do, but just bear with me, I guess, for a second. I mean, he's probably the most successful coach, arguably, in the history of MLS during his time with, with DC United and then the Galaxy and, and, you know, obviously doing pretty well with the Revolution. So he's one of the better coaches to ever coach and and it's just another turning in the page of leaving a, a bygone era in MLS behind and, and moving forward to whatever the next iteration uh, of the evolution of this league is so he's a household name if you're a soccer fan mm-hmm. you know but uh we just got to move on you know yeah whatever he said that's uh we've evolved past that yep. you know uh for sure yeah it's no place in no, no place in the league for it Yep. And I, I'm glad they came down the way they did, right? Yeah. They could have tried to hide it and push under the rug more than they've already done. But yeah. uh, they made the right decision. And, uh, you know, it, moving forward, this should be a learning lesson for a lot of people. For sure. Um, outside of MLS play, there, w- there was a U.S. men's national team game that happened. Uh, it was a marquee game against the mighty power of Uzbekistan. Uh, 3-0 win. It was a pretty strong lineup. I actually didn't get a chance to watch any of this game. I don't know if you watched much of it either. I did see a lot of discourse on Twitter.com because it did not sell out in the city of St. Louis, which they like to claim as the soccer capital of America. Uh, what were the ticket prices? Were the ticket prices well pretty? I mean, I know they always are, right? Yeah. That's that's the thing, and I I do want to give. Kansas City, you know, let's not throw stones from glass houses because we've both been to U.S. men's national team games at Children's Mercy Park where it was not sold out. Yeah. Um, 
we know how expensive U.S. soccer makes tickets for games that should not be hundreds of dollars for a ticket. Yeah. I can only assume, I didn't verify this before the podcast, but I can only assume that tickets for this game were equally as highly priced as they have been before. I mean, there have been some games where tickets started at like $80 plus fees to see the men's national team, and that's that's frankly too much for, even if it is a marquee you know, lineup you're going to get to see, it's an international friendly against Uzbekistan. Right. It's too much. Yeah. Nothing I'm with you. I think I saw ticket prices were in the 40s without fees, by the, by the way, without fees. That's not um, the worst. I mean, that can easily be like $65. Yeah. It's <laughs> you still, know. you know, if you're a family of four, yeah, that's, that's still tough. like 250 bucks just for tickets. Plus then parking around the St. Louis Stadium is ridiculous. I've been there. It sucks. And then food and it. I mean, you're looking at a $400 experience for a family of four. Not everybody can do that. Especially so. when, you know, that could be half of your season ticket. Right. For, for sure. St. Louis. I'd like to see, you know, if I were in charge of U.S. soccer, which clearly I'm not, there's a lot of things I would change. But for, for friendlies like this, just get people in the seats. $20, $25 tickets and just fill the stadium so they can see a friendly. I get it if it's a Gold Cup game or a Nations League game or a world. I mean, they're not going to control World Cup pricing. Um, but, you know, if it's Kansas City here and, and the World Cup's here in 2026, I fully expect those tickets to be in the hundreds of dollar ranges. But right for a friendly against Uzbekistan... Just get people in the stadium. That's what I would say. This uh, is an opportunity to expand the fan base, right? Mm-hmm. To, you know, you could be a kid and you go in there and you buy a t-shirt or you buy yeah. a jersey, you know, and then for sure, that's what it should be about. We should not be trying to gouge these families just to come. It, Uzbekistan, right? There's right. no star power. There's no name power there. No. Um, it's They need to change their their pricing structure or dynamics because it's, it's not growing men's soccer like it should be. No. We have an opportunity here. We have a golden opportunity. One of the best teams we've had in a long time. Yeah. Star power um, uh, with Pulisic and others. We should be just trying to get people in the door to see it. Yeah. Build from there. Yeah. I mean, they, they won 3-0. Now, Timothy Weah scored in the fourth minute, and then they didn't score again until the first minute of stoppage time, and then a penalty kick at the last second got them the third goal. So probably should have beat Uzbekistan a little more than they did. But after all the trash we're talking against Uzbekistan, but hey, they won, which it's a win. So. It's never a guarantee with the U.S. national team, right? That's true. Well, and, and tonight, Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m., they're actually in Minneapolis. They're playing Oman. So another international powerhouse uh, in, a, in a friendly. But we'll see what uh, the crowd in, in Minneapolis looks like tonight against um, another team that the U.S. men's national team should be quite handily. I... Uh, I do wish, I know it's hard, especially during this window when there's other international competitions going on, but I do wish the U.S. would play more difficult teams in these friendlies. I just feel like you see records like Greg Berhalter's international record, and he's won so many more games than he's lost or tied, but that's because a significant percentage of them are against countries like Oman or Uzbekistan or the the Caribbean islands that are part of CONCACAF, where yeah, they're just never going to be competitive. Uh, to me, it would be better for the U.S. to play a more difficult competition and get better. So by the time you do get to the World Cup, you're used to playing the likes of a Belgium or whatnot, and not Uzbekistan. I think one of the more frustrating things about being a U.S. fan is like I don't know where we are on the international level in terms right. of rankings. Like we don't play. I can't see 
how we play against Germany. Like, I don't, like, I just can't, I don't know where we are in the standings of the world because we don't allow ourselves to have that type of opportunity. Yeah, it's, um, it's tough. It is tough. Although I, I do think, as you say that, um, the U.S. actually did, ironically, as we're complaining, our <laughs> schedule a match against Germany in October. So <laughs> we will we get will to see them <laughs> against Germany. Um, Who just they, let their uh, their manager go, Hansi Flick? They did, yeah. I say they they scheduled a, a few months ago. I, I just I remember I, it jogged my memory when you said we don't get to see them play Germany. I was like, oh shoot, I think we actually are playing <laughs> Germany coming up. So that'll be good. Yeah, that's the type of game I want the U.S. to play as a friendly right. because that's the type of competition that will make you better even if you lose. Right. So, I, I mean, iron sharpens iron, right? Exactly. Playing Uzbekistan doesn't necessarily sharpen our skills. Yeah, I'd rather see us lose a competitive match against Germany, and maybe it sucks for the coach's record, but it'll be better than a 3-0 win against Uzbekistan in the long term. So At the end of the day, the records only matter in, like, you know, CONCACAF, Gold Cup, World Cup. Right. That type of thing anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, my friend, I think that is about it for this week. Thank you so much for filling in. You got any other final words for our good listeners? Ah, no, man. Just keep the faith and uh, one game at a time. That's right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We should have Dan back next week when he's back from gallivanting on his cruise. Uh, But in the meantime, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review if you have not yet done so, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at NoOtherPod. Chris, I I almost said at Dan Kuzer just because I'm used to it. It Remind me, is it C Right 21? C L Right 21. CL Right 21 uh, and no other pod. Uh, and then, yeah, check us out KCSN Soccer on YouTube or on the KC Sports Network app. But until next time, he's Chris. I'm Jimmy. We'll catch y'all later. See ya. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.